What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Anthony Perry. Anthony, say what's up. Let the folks know where to find you. What's going on, everyone? It's your boy, Anthony, and uh, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. As always, guys, to find me on Twitter, it's Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. And, uh, man, Zach, let's get in rolling. We had one hell of a roller coaster of a game against the Cardinals, and uh, it was another heart pounder. It really was, but, hey, they came out with a dub, and that's all that matters. Yeah, dude, it was it was rough. I was having flashbacks. I mean, flashbacks, you can call them. I'm doing air quotes here to Monday night. And it was it was just a tough tough game, you know. And and the Forty ers they came out super flat to start the game, and I I was I was really concerned. And you know we'll get into it for the most part, but just a quick recap, you know we all know the Forty ers they ended up they ended up winning, uh, just down at the wire, and Jimmy Garoppolo had another career game, uh, second career game in three weeks against the Cardinals, and he had pretty much no help from the running game uh the defense they came ended up you know turning it around towards the end of the game but to start off the game uh i mean they were down 16 nothing at a point and the 49ers just really really dug themselves out a hole out of a hole some self-inflicted wounds we'll get into and unfortunately some injuries as well uh the main one that i comes to the top of my head is uh d ford he left with a hamstring strain that looks like he's gonna it's gonna force him to miss some time so let's get right into it, Anthony. Why the slow start from the 49ers? You know, you would think that they would have a better understanding of what the Cardinals were going to run, especially with how Cliff Kingsbury was prepping the Cardinals. I mean, even after the Thursday night game, Cliff knew what they were going to expect from the Niners' defensive line in particular. I mean, you saw how much they were pressuring Kyler Murray. You saw how fast they were getting to him. And, you know, the blueprint for the Cardinals offense was almost exactly the same as it was on Thursday, you know, draw, draw run plays, uh, short screen passes, short underneath passes, you know, an occasional pass down the middle of the field. But I think the slow start was just attributed to slow adjustments by Salah and the guys overall, you know, again, they had saw what the Cardinals are going to run on Thursday and I'm sure they were expecting it uh, on Sunday. And quite frankly, I think all of us were too, but you you know, it's just one of those things where it takes longer for some teams to adapt to certain things going ahead of them. And I think that was just a case against the Cardinals. I mean, what the Cardinals scored 16 points in a quarter and a half. And after that, it was clamp city from there. I mean, from then they only gave up another touchdown, I believe. And, you know, that was it. Maybe maybe a field goal too, you know, thirty six twenty six. But uh, in any event, you know, the slow starts happen. I think the slow starts have been happening, you know, every other game. It's almost been, you know, it's almost been like a trend for this team now, and it's really weird. You know, it's kind of frustrating to see that they start slow overall. But you know, the fact that Salah and those boys on defense make an adjustment, you know, they adapt to what's going on in front of them, and they they just make plays. They make it happen, and. That's ultimately the biggest factor when it comes to winning games, such as games against the Cardinals. And it's frustrating when you see them go out there and, you know, perform the same type of offense that they did on Thursday. And you're thinking like, okay, well, Salah and these guys should have been prepared for it. They're not exactly doing too hot against it so far. What's going on? 
But I digress, man. They adapted, they adjusted, and ultimately those adjustments is what helped them win the game. And I I don't know about the offense, though. You know, the offense is a little different. You know, I don't want to say the whole team has been starting slow, but it's like if the defense starts hot, the offense starts slow, or if the offense starts hot, the defense starts slow. I don't know. It's really weird. So I think it, you know, I think in terms of the offense, it, it was just a sluggish start. You know, Garoppolo was having a hard time hitting receivers. Receivers were having a hard time getting separation, getting open. You know, another game where the run game for the Niners couldn't get going and it made the Cardinals look like a top defense. And you see that kind of thing happening and you're figuring like, okay, what can Shanahan do to adjust? What can he do to really correct these type of things? And, you know, really you didn't see those adjustments happen until the end of the second quarter. You know, by the time then, I think the Niners were up, what, 17-16? You know, so it's those type of adjustments that really make or break these games for the Niners. And the fact that they have such a good coaching staff and such a smart quarterback, a smart play caller in Shanahan and Garoppolo, you know, these guys get every chance to win. They get every chance to come back and really just move the ball. And, you know, it's kind of funny to say, but the Niners damn near feel like the best second half team in all of football. But at the same time, you want to see that type of consistency. And they've been showing it throughout the season. But the past few weeks, man, they've been really stressful games. And I don't know if it's just the team's getting tired. You know, you're getting into the last quarter part of the season. You know, the games are getting longer. You know, the playoff push is happening, and these guys need to play harder and harder. And, you know, you said it best, man. The injury bug bit again. Obviously, D. Ford, Emmanuel Sanders is out there playing banged up. You know, guys are getting knocked out left and right. And you know, you're really putting a lot on the backups to get the job done. And I believe in the backups. They really can, or excuse me, they really can do it. But again, it's asking a lot for those guys to go out there and perform, you know, to the best of their abilities. And even against the Cardinals with such a good offense, you know, the defense was able to do it with the backups. The offense was able to do it with, you know, a revolving door of wide receivers. And, you know, it just, at the end of the day, it just falls on the coaching staff and, Shanahan and Sala just got the job done, man. They were on fire. Yeah, and and you I mean you touched on a few things there, but mainly I think the the adjustments that this team is able to make, that Kyle is able to kind of regroup, not get ahead of himself, not think, you know, get mentally overwhelmed and then let his players kind of feed off of that and then they themselves get overwhelmed and and implement the adjustments, stay calm and know that you're not in too deep of a hole to come out of and still win this game. Uh, I mean, even even late in the game when Jimmy, you know, threw that interception late in the game to, um, was it Jordan Hicks, I believe? And, you know, the 49ers were about to score. And, of course, you know, just happened to get right in there. And I don't know what he was looking at. Um, he just threw it right to him, if, I, if I'm thinking of the correct one. And it just, you know... There's no no reason for it, but the 49ers, you know, they didn't let themselves get too flustered. They were able to come back out there and do what needed to be done to win the game. And, you know, speaking of to the slow start, usually in, in games prior, we've seen, like you said, one half of the team kind of sl- start slowly, whether it be the offense or the defense. However, this, at least off the top of my head, this was kind of the first game that both sides of the t- of the, the ball started slowly for the 49ers. And, you know, the, the, uh, the defense wasn't stopping the Cardinals. They weren't stopping them at all. They were letting Kyler and, you know, Christian Kirk, Fitzgerald, Kenyon Drake, uh, David Johnson, all these guys just march down the field. And they didn't have an answer for them. 
And, you know, when the 49ers did get the ball on offense, they they couldn't do anything. They were going three and out real quick. And then the defense that was already gassed had to go right back out on the field. And it was really, really concerning because here I am thinking, you know, there were a few times where the 49ers had the ball and they're already down, you know, nine points or, you know, I think they were down, uh, They got especially when they were down 16 nothing. I remember thinking if they don't answer here with a touchdown or at least with a field goal, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly really quickly. And, you know, with all the injuries that ravage this team, I'm not sure if they're built to come back from a three-score game. So luckily they were able to answer with a, a touchdown. But, you know, it, it could have gotten ugly really quickly. And I, I think it's just a testament to how the 49ers were able to kind of stay calm. The coaching staff was able to stay calm just kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and get this game going. And, you know, once once you could see it. Once the 49ers got that first touchdown, man, the defense came back out electrified. They were hyped. They were ready to go. You know, they were, they were pumping each other up, giving each other high fives, pumping up the crowd. And you could really tell they just feed off of each other. So one really needs to be kind of have all gears pumping in order for the other one to kind of just start getting the ball rolling. And hopefully we don't see something similar, you know, against a Green Bay and New Orleans uh, or Baltimore, because it's going to be really tough to dig yourselves out of a of a early hole with these elite teams. Um, what did you learn from this team? And I know that's a really loaded question, but if you could just give me like, you know, one main thing that you kind of took away from this win. These guys don't give up. These guys go out there and they play football and they don't care if they're down. They don't care if they're up by three. They don't care if they're down by 16 or up by 10, up by 30, you know, whatever it is. The guys are so resilient. And I think, you know, when you get to the you know last quarter of the season, you start to see that with the playoff teams. You know, the guys are resilient. The guys go out there and they fight and they battle and they claw. And... You know, the past three weeks, you know, we haven't quite seen the Niners really get challenged up until three weeks ago against, you know, Arizona, then Seattle, then Arizona again. And whether they're down or whether they're up, man, they play hard, hard football. And a lot of that is a testament to the coaching staff. I mean, you got guys like Robert Sala and Chris Kosirik, you know, who just hype these guys the hell up. And then you look over at Kyle Shanahan and the dude is so calm and relaxed. And I, I think, you know, the mixed personalities really help balance out and they really help settle the guys. So you see Shanahan, it's like, okay, we got to stay calm. We got to stay relaxed. When we get that, when we get out there on the field, we want to resemble our coach. But then you have guys like Robert Sala and Chris Kosirik who are just so full of energy and, you know, the biggest hype men on the entire team. And, you know, then they go out there in the field and like, ah, oh, man, look at those two guys just, you know, bust their butts for us, man. We want to do the same thing for them too. And I think, the team's ability to really just stay calm and stay stay relaxed, but also be able to play with that fiery mentality every snap of the game is the biggest takeaway from them as a whole, man. I mean, you know, you have that kind of mentality and that, in my opinion, you know, when you're a playoff team, that makes or that make or breaks how far and how deep you want to go. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a young team. It doesn't matter if you're an old team. If you have that kind of mentality where you want to win every single snap, no matter what position you play, that's how you go to the Super Bowl, and that's how you win the Super Bowl, man. And and again, it all starts with the coaching. It all starts with these guys being hungry, man, and they they just go out there and they're just ready to ball. Yeah, um, 
that's a great point. You know, they're they're very very resilient, and they're able to overcome a lot to get the job done. And you know, we've heard them say, you know, just about every press conference they go up there after the game, that they keep finding different ways to win, and that's what a good team does. Um, for me, the biggest thing I think I took away from this game is that um, Jimmy Garoppolo can in fact carry this team if need be and he only needs a little bit of help from some wide receivers to catch the ball when it's thrown right at them I know he had a couple bad passes um the interception like I said earlier straight to the Cardinals linebacker that was unacceptable and then the one that was behind uh Ross Dwelly when they were in the end zone there's no way Ross Dwelly's catching that ball um, so the fact that, you know, he threw those, that's, that's really bad and we need to see him get better from that. However, he is a young and inexperienced quarterback and he's going to have these growing pains, but you got to take the good with the bad and the good far, far outweighed the bad in this scenario. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, he had over 400 yards and four touchdowns. And I think, you know, the last quarterback to do that, I think, was uh, Steve Young. Or um, Don't fact check me on that. I think I know he's only in that sort of category with Joe Montana and it, Steve Young. It was Young both of them, and, Steve Young and Montana. It was both of them. Okay. Yep. There you go. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, he's in – yeah, so he's in elite company. And, you know, we've been hearing all – the whole first half of the season, all these, you know, media pundits and guys on NFL Network and ESPN and – you know, wherever, wherever you tuned in, they kept saying, oh, well, you know, the 49ers weak link is Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, he came out there and, you know, prior to just 18 days ago having the game of his career, he did it again. He had he topped his career highs for, you know, two week two two games and two two out of three games. He topped his career high. So it's just like, you know, what more can he prove for you to you? He had, you know, Sanders wasn't able to finish the game. Debo's balling out. We'll get to him a little later. But, you know, aside from that, it's a very, very steep drop-off. Kendrick Bourne came through for him in some some plays. Uh, even, you know, Marquise Goodwin had a clutch third-down reception, I believe. Um, so, and Ross Dwelly. Ross Dwelly's been balling out in absence of George Kittle. I know the stat sheet may not suggest that, but the catches that he's, that he's hauling in are really, really clutch. And the touchdowns are even more clutch. So it's just, you know... The main thing I took away from this game is that the 49ers, if need be, can lean on Jimmy Garoppolo, and as long as he gets a little bit of help, just a tad bit of help from his receivers to go out there and do their job, this team is fine. This team is fine, and, you know, it, it, it's really promising to see. Um, and, you know, we spoke about this earlier. We kind of got into it. This game, like I said, was very, very similar to the Monday Night Football loss against Seattle. Especially once it came down to the fourth quarter. It was really tight. They were trading the lead back and forth there for a bit. Um, the 49ers were you know, coming back strong towards the second half of the game. What was the main difference this time to you? What was the deciding factor in the fact that they won this game and they lost Monday night? I'm, all, I'm always going to say it, man. But the biggest thing for NFL teams to win and particularly this Niners team because of how young they are is the ability to adapt to what's going on in front of them. You saw a handful of times where the defensive end, whether it was Bosa or Ford or uh, God, who else was out there? Buckner or Solomon Thomas, you know, when they would, uh, you know, they have to respect Kyler Murray running and when you blow contain, 
you know, you let Murray run free. And it happened when he ran for his 22 yard touchdown, Bosa blue contained and it happens, but it's gotta be on those guys to go out there and adjust and adapt to the situation in front of them. So I think what separated a W from this game compared to a loss from Seattle, other than, you know, a really stupid missed field goal was just the team's relentlessness and ability to get the job done. And I'm not saying they didn't get the job done in Seattle, but there were times when Russell Wilson scrambled and someone blew an assignment or someone wasn't paying attention or, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo in the offense couldn't get the ball moving against Seattle's, you know, poorest defense. And I mean, you know, the past three weeks, the offensive line play has not been very good. And a lot of that can be attributed to why Seattle beat the Niners. I mean, Jadavion Clowney was having a decent season. He's, you know, in my interview with Joe Fan, he brought up how Clowney was getting double teamed most of his time in Seattle. And, you know, this was kind of the first game where Clowney, you know, got matched up one-on-one against Staley and he just cooked him. But it wasn't just Clowney, man. It was the entire defensive line of Seattle that was owning the Niners' offensive line. So, you know, that's something you can attribute you know, to the loss against Seattle. And I think the offensive line played a lot better against Arizona, although it did feel like that, uh, man, Arizona was just pressuring Garoppolo all afternoon. And Arizona only sacked Garoppolo one time. You know, it felt like way more. I mean, they were getting pressure. They were hitting him all throughout the day, but only one sack. So a lot of that can be accredited to Garoppolo's fast release. I mean, quite frankly, it saves the offensive line. But just overall, you know, going back to the question, the Niners' ability to adapt to any situation going on in front of them, whether it's facing, you know, two similar quarterbacks, Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray, or having to lock up against a good receiver like J.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett or uh, Christian Kirk and even Larry Fitzgerald, you know, that dude just likes to own the Niners for whatever reason. It's just those kind of things for a young team, the, the ability to adapt and just just for the coaching staff, the same thing applies. The ability to adapt and understand what the defense and offense are both running, knowing what plays to call, what the right situation is to call that certain play. You know, again, I can't stop saying it, dude. It's what makes a playoff team. And that ability to adapt and adjust is the biggest key for the Niners going forward, especially if people want to take them serious. And I know they will, and I know a lot of them are. But, I mean, man, man, dude. The schedule is going to get tough. They're playing a lot of tough teams, and they're going to have to adapt quickly if they want to, you know, even have a chance at beating guys like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Lamar Jackson going forward. Yeah, and you know, you said it. Just adapting, continuing to not get overwhelmed, and to not, you know, just completely be caught off guard and not know how to how to handle it. Um, to me, the main difference, and it's going to sound a little simplistic, but the the wide receiver is not dropping the ball. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but the fact that, you know, down down the stretch, they weren't dropping the ball, they weren't tipping it and letting it get intercepted, aside from the Dwelly tip interception, which isn't Dwelly's fault, that was a bad pass, um, they were really, really helping Jimmy get the job done, and, you know, I, I thought it was great, I thought it was great to see, and I thought it's, it, it, it can only be great for Jimmy and his confidence moving forward, and I think it just goes to show that, um, if he does get some help on the offense, on the offensive side, you know, the sky's the limit essentially. So I think if, you know, moving forward, they get a healthy George Kittle back, Emmanuel Sanders rib heals fully. Um, this team, they're going to be pretty lethal on offense, especially given that, you know, we, like I said earlier, we'd always been hearing about 
Jimmy is the weak link. Now that that's essentially solved, where where can this team be stopped? They show that if you load the box and you force Jimmy to throw it, win it through the air, he can do that. Uh, you've shown that if you're going to make the 49ers run on you, they can do that as well. Um, so it's, it's really, really lethal and it's dangerous for opposing teams. And you, you mean, as a 49ers fan, you just love to see it. Um, switching to the other side of the ball, the 49ers defense. Anthony, what do you think allowed Kyler Murray to be so effective? He was the first quarterback, um, opposing quarterback to post a hundred passer rating against the 49ers this year. I think this was like, this was probably Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury's best called game of the season so far. And I think a lot of what they run, you know, they run the spread offense, which is super college style. You know, it allows wide receivers to get open. And quite frankly, it puts defensive backs on an island. And you're asking, you know, it's not necessarily means it's man coverage, but defensive backs are going out there and they're going to have to cover quickly, you know, and you're handing off zones and wide receivers can find soft spots, man, or they take advantage of blown assignments, you know. I saw, you know, Christian Kirk, who had a huge drop in the middle of the field, I think in the second quarter, you know, that was like a good example of what I believe was a blown assignment. I have to watch the film again, but it sure as hell looked like a blown assignment. So, you know, it's those kind of things that Cliff Kingsbury's offense can take advantage of. And, you know, he doesn't even have good weapons. You know, Larry Fitzgerald is aging. Christian Kirk is a solid receiver. I'm not saying he's bad. But the rest of the receivers are, you know, they're not that good yet. I mean, Andy Isabella is fast. Um, I I don't know if Ricky Seals-Jones played. But, you know, the point being is that they don't have that many good offense weapons. And yet Cliff Kingsbury was able to go out there and call a really good game. And, again, even if we were able to expect the screen passes, the short underneath passes, the draw plays, you know, Kingsbury just dialed up the right plays at the right moments, man. And he caught Salah and those guys slipping. and. Even if the game doesn't look like it was a close game, obviously because of the box score, you know, you watch the game and it's like, man, the Cardinals were really in it up until the fourth quarter after Jeff Wilson scored. And then even then, when Kyler Murray was going out there on the field, I was thinking like, man, you know, with the way that offense has been moving, I wouldn't be surprised if Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray get the team in field goal range. But, you know, nonetheless, Salah and those guys held through. Demontre Moore forced a fumble. You know, Niners score again. and it's just those kind of things that what you know ultimately make the Niners a playoff team. But Kyler Murray's ability to maneuver the pocket, his ability to scramble, his ability to, you know, read everything downfield and just hit open guys, it's you know, it's what makes him a good quarterback. And I really think he's a good quarterback. He has so much upside, man. And I mean, after all, he's the number one overall pick. And, you know, you have a quarterback of his style and then you have Cl- Cliff Kingsbury a head coach and offensive coordinator of his style, you know, it's like yin and yang, man. These two dudes just go together perfectly, and they're going to be a problem for the Niners for years to come. But overall, you know, a lot of Kyler Murray's effectiveness, and I think he only passed for 160 yards. I don't know if he hit 200. It wasn't that much. But I think his accuracy and his effectiveness, effectiveness just, you know, given the situation in front of him, I mean, everything was happening so fast, and you know, as a defense, it's hard to adjust to those quick screens. It's hard to adjust to those quick passes because, you know, cover three defense, you want to play everything over the top. You want to be safe on big plays. And, you know, you play cover three defense and you're ultimately avoiding big plays, but it opens a door for short underneath and even some intermediate passes. And, you know, that's what Cliff and Kyler were just taking advantage of. And, 
you know, you can't knock Kyler, man. He's a good quarterback, and he got the job done for Arizona. It's just, you know, not his fault Arizona's defense kind of let him down. But, you know, I digress, man. Kyler Murray's talent and his ability to sling the ball is, you know, it, it showed on Sunday. And, you know, the Niners did as much as they could to adapt and adjust, and they locked him down for the most part. But even if they locked him down, that doesn't mean that Kyler, you know, was still effective because he was very effective in my opinion. Yeah, I think it really just speaks to how talented of a quarterback Kyler Murray is. Um, man, some of the throws he was he was making were just kind of mind blowing, especially for a rookie quarterback. You don't really see that sort of accuracy and and smart decision making that early on in, in a young quarterback's career. And you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but I know he's got a very, very select few interceptions on the year, and that's just, you know, it just, like I said, it just really speaks to how talented he is, and you know, he's only going to get better. So the 49ers are really, really going to have their hands full containing him moving forward uh, the next couple of years, since they'll be seeing him twice a year in the division. And I know 49ers fans were kind of, you know, clowning the Cardinals for taking him over Nick Bosa or some other guys. But, I mean, looking back now, he was the right choice for them. They really needed a quarterback, and I don't think, you know, Josh Rosen was the guy. And I really like Josh Rosen. I think he still, you know, may have a chance in the NFL um, if he if he's given the right opportunity. However, it wasn't in Arizona, and I think that was very clear. And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury came in. I think he knew that right from the start. So the fact that they were able to kind of just wash their hands of that whole situation and then go and get a Kyler Murray a player of that caliber and with that potential. Um, I think, you know, it just shows that he's worth it. It speaks to what they thought of him. And I think so far through uh, what 10, 11 games, he's, he's really proved them right. So he's very, very lethal. He can beat you from the pocket. He can roll out and beat you with his legs. He can roll out and still throw a dart, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field with, you know, precision accuracy. So it's very hard to defend somebody like that. And, you know, even even with pass rushers like Nick Bosa and D Ford while he was in the game and, you know, Defoe and Solly and you know, Eric Armstead, the 49ers are extremely talented with their defensive front. And even they were having a hard time, you know, keeping him, you know, contained and let, not letting him escape the pocket and roll out. And, you know, there were a couple plays where it looked like Nick Bosa had him, you know, right in his grasp and, Half a second later, he's darting up the field for a first down. It's just, you know, he's a very, very talented quarterback in many ways. And, you know, one of our RGS mailbag questions that we'll get into later is, you know, do we think the 49ers have a hard time against, you know, mobile quarterbacks in specific? So we'll get into that a little later. But a little preview of that here, my answer is that, you know, it's going to be tough for them. Um, now, going back to the 49ers offense, what did you think of Debo Samuel's performance? He balled out for the second straight week. I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. What a stud. Oh my God, dude. This guy is a machine. I saw that he had... Oh God, what was it? I heard it on the radio. It was like he has... I think he's the second or third you know, leading receiver in yak yards. But oh, oh, this was the stat... Um, the Niners wide receivers, uh, this past Sunday had the most yak yards in a game out of any NFL team since the Redskins and Giants in 2014. You know, that's how effective these guys are. But, uh, you know, Debo Samuel in particular, man, eight catches, 134 yards, 
dude, this guy's a stud, Zach. This guy is an absolute baller. He goes out there, he wins one-on-one contested catches, you know, double coverage, and he still wins contested catches. And it's that kind of ability as a wide receiver to just go out there and make plays, take on contact. And, you know, I think the biggest thing about Debo is that the mentality he has or that he carries himself with on the field, like, you know, the big story is that a lot of the wide receivers on this team are kind of afraid to get hit or they don't want to really take on contact after the catch. And, you know, it happens with drops over the middle. I mean, it happens with Kendrick Bourne, happens with Dante Pettis, it happens to Marquise Goodwin. But Debo Samuel goes out there and, dude, he wants to make defensive backs and linebackers afraid to hit him. He wants to go out there and make contact. He wants to go out there and hit guys. And ultimately, you know, that separates the big guys from the little guys. And Debo is quite clearly a big guy. You know, a lot of the criticism I was giving the Niners this past season was, can they establish another playmaker? I mean, you know, a lot of that relied on Dante Pettis and Kendrick Bourne. And I still think they have the ability, but, you know, they have to be consistent. And they haven't exactly been consistent as of yet. And then, obviously, the acquisition of Emmanuel Sanders. And look, the dude's not even healthy, but the guy is going out there, and he's still effective. And it sucks, but the guy is going out there, and he's doing his best. I mean, Sunday afternoon, Emmanuel Sanders, three catches, 33 yards, you know. It was tough to watch him go out there and play because it felt like after every hit, man, he was just getting up slower and slower. But, you know, he's tough. You know, when he's healthy, we've seen what he has to offer. And, you know, his ability is what can really push this offense moving forward. And, you know, the same goes for Debo Samuel, man. Debo looks like Debo honestly looks like he's playing like a, you know, like a mini Emmanuel Sanders, you know. The guy's going out there, he's winning contested catches, he's getting separation, he's making plays, and you know, he might not have the deep speed that Emmanuel Sanders had when Sanders was in his prime, but you know, Debo can still fly, man. He can still make guys miss and and it it just goes to show what he has to offer and what he can really be moving forward. You know, there's so many other people that wanted other wide receivers. And, you know, I think everyone knew that the Niners were going to take Debo Samuel. I mean, after all, he was on the uh, he was on the senior roster at the senior Pro Bowl. Or was it the senior bowl? The recent senior bowl. Yeah. When Kyle Shanahan was coaching and, you know, you see what the guy is doing on the field and it really shows you why Kyle Shanahan drafted him. And moving forward, man, Debo Samuel is going to be such a huge, huge focal point of this offense. And his ability to just make plays and make things happen when the ball's in his hands is, you know, it's something to watch, man. We haven't seen that from a Niners wide receiver in a really long time. Yeah, it was, it was a thing of beauty. And like you said, he, um, he's not afraid of contact in the least. I mean, I could count at least a handful of times just off the top of my head where, he would catch the ball and he could easily go out of bounds or, you know, he's already being somewhat tackled. He could just go down. But no, he fights for the extra yardage. And, you know, it's just you don't really see that out of a rookie receiver or somebody who's kind of still coming into his own. And, you know, you don't see that at all on the 49ers, you know, in their receiver group aside from Sand- Sanders and when he just got here. So the fact that he's, you know, able to produce like this just, you know, halfway through his rookie season, a little over half it's great to see and you know hopefully it inspires some of the other younger receivers to kind of step it up because you know like i said born's been playing well however you know he could he could do more as well and man we'll get into dante in a bit but he really really is in the doghouse i think he only had a couple snaps so he could really really learn from from uh, debo and it's supposed to be the other way around you know 
Debo is, you know, younger than Dante, I believe. And, you know, Dante's been here for a whole year longer, I, I think at least a year. So, you know, the fact that Debo is the one that's coming out here and balling out, it, it honestly does surprise me a bit. We, I know we were all thinking that it was going to be it was going to be Dante. But, you know, it's a pleasant surprise. It, it had to be someone. And I'm just glad it was anybody, uh, especially with Sanders not being in there. And, you know, I had a little interesting tidbit here that he was the first uh, rookie wide receiver to post uh, with eight or more receptions and 100 yards in back-to-back games since Odell Beckham Jr. And he did it in four straight games from uh, in December of 14, uh, 2014. So he's, you know, joining some elite company. And if he could keep it up, you know, he's got two games to tie that and three to break that record. So um, it's just, it's really, really great. It's really great to see. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. The 49ers have desperately needed a weapon on the outside. Debo's come in and he's proved in, you know, just 10 games that he he's capable of being that weapon. And, you know, we all say Sanders, Sanders, Sanders. But the truth is Sanders is, what, 32 years old? I mean, even at his best, he can only play here for another two, three years before, you know, age starts to catch up with him. So the 49ers are need a younger receiver to be able to start being groomed to take over that wide receiver spot right now. And it looks like it's going to be Devo Samuel. So I'm really, really happy for the guy. And I'm really, really happy for Kyle. Because like you said, you know, he coached him in the Senior Bowl. And something about this this team, and I know they're young. They're going off of what they know. But, you know, going back to John Lynch with uh, Solly drafting him because, you know, they went to Stanford together. And they felt that that was a safe pick. It's almost similar to how Kyle wanted Debo. You know, he coached them at the Senior Bowl. He really, really liked the kid. There were there were rumors coming out in reports, you know, being written ever since the Senior Bowl that the 49ers were in love with Debo Samuel. So it seems like they kind of had their sights set on a guy specifically based off their personal experience with them. And I'm really glad it's, it's working out because, you know, if not, we'd start hearing, you know, that they're trusting their own instincts a little bit too much, which could have been the case with Solly. We don't really know. Um, on the flip side, like I said, Dante Pettis, I think he played two or three snaps. What's going on there, Anthony? I'm running out of things to say, man. I, I'm i one of the few who's still on the Dante Pettis train. I really believe in the guy. I don't know why, but just something about him and something about his demeanor just makes me go, man, you know, this guy is such a funny and chill dude. It's just, I think he can go out there and do it, and he's proven it, and I don't think that's just a flash in the pan, man. You know, whether people say he was overdrafted or not, you're, he's, he was drafted in the second round for a reason. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's a reach now. The guy probably should have been undrafted. Well, you know, Shanahan saw something in him to go in the second round. And I think Pettis still has that ability. You know, he was out there for the game-winning touchdown. So obviously he did something, you know, he did something helpful. I mean, he dapped up Jeff Wilson. But uh, nah, man. I think it speaks volumes about him not getting playing time. You know, the reality of it is that, you know, Shanahan has him in the doghouse deep and, you know, it's on Pettis and Shanahan wants to see if Pettis can dig himself out of it, dude. He wants to see if he can play himself out of it. He wants to see if he can work his way out. And I mean, Shanahan has a history of putting dudes in the doghouse and Pettis is just another one of those dudes. And, you know, we have to see how well Pettis can bounce back and how well Pettis can take advantage of every opportunity moving forward because, you know, quite frankly, I don't think Shanahan really cares that Pettis isn't 
isn't really getting any targets or he isn't really getting any playing time, you know, I think he'll care when Pettis is actually, he'll care, excuse me, when Pettis is actually out there on the field and he wants him to contribute. But for the time being, man, the Niners have a winning streak. Everything is going fine for him. You know, why change the formula? And I don't know if Shanahan believes that Pettis doesn't, doesn't give the Niners the best chance to win or the best chance to move the ball or what. But uh, yeah, dude, Pettis has a lot to work on moving forward. I think he will do it. I think he still has that ability to go out there and ball. He's just, you know, you got to be patient, man. It's a patient, patient game. And the dude's got to wait for his opportunity. And, you know, as the weeks go on, he'll get his chance. And, you know, even if it's one target or two targets, if he can take advantage of that opportunity, he'll get his playing time back and he can be a feature piece in his offense moving forward. And we heard Coach Shanahan say um, a couple weeks ago that the more opportunities he doesn't make the most of, the less opportunities Dante is going to get. And it was it was very clear that Coach was not bluffing. He was not bluffing at all. And the fact that we saw him only a couple snaps on Sunday just goes to show that. And, you know, like you said, there's really not much more that we can say. Um, he's going to have to fight his way out of that out of that doghouse man and hope it's not too late for him to kind of turn things around here and i'm not quite sure what exactly the problem is i'm not sure if you know mentally he's not he doesn't have the drive i mean we we can't speak to the man's motive we don't know him personally we have no sort of contact with him we have no sort of you know firsthand experience so all we can do is speculate and from the outside looking in and, you know, obviously taking a risk of being completely wrong here, it just doesn't seem like the drive is there. And I have nothing, of course, against Dante Pettis as a person. He seems like a, a fantastic guy. However, as a receiver, once he steps onto that football field, speaking purely, you know, objectively, I just don't see it. I don't see the same guy that was, you know, going up for the, the, the pass a couple, two, a year or two ago when he was balling and you know lighting it up and you know he really really turning it on the the second half of his rookie year so i don't really know what happened i I can't tell you what exactly happened but it's just hard to see him struggling it really really is because like i said he seems like such a good dude and you can't help but root for him and yet when he's out on the field he can't seem to make the most out of his opportunities and now who knows if there's something going on behind the scenes, if him and, you know, Coach Shanahan don't, their personalities clash. I'm not quite sure. However, Kyle seems to be really, really hard on him. And maybe it's tough love. Maybe it's because he, you know, he sees that potential. I used to have teachers when I was in, you know, elementary or middle school. And, you know, they would be extremely hard on me. And they would just say, because I I know that you can do so much better. I know you're not trying. I know you have, you know, so much more potential that you're just not channeling. Maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe we're just seeing, you know, Coach Shanahan say, you know, I'm doing this to you, but you'll thank me in the long run. So it remains to be seen. I really, really hope he can turn it around because if he does, uh, uh, you know, fully, fully lethal Dante Pettis along with the Debo Samuel, along with healthy George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders, born catching passes you know uh, as a wide receiver three or four this team this team's lethal this offense you know this passing game can really really get going and we've been saying for a while now we haven't seen them at their full potential and we still haven't seen them at their full potential so 
we can only hope that Dante Pettis figures out whatever he's going through, works through whatever problems he's going through, and is able to get on the field and produce, even if it's, you know, one catch for a third down. Even if he just happened, if, if the team needs him to be a solid role player right now, then he's got to, you know, bite the bullet and be a solid role player right now. Look at Ross Dwelly. Like I said earlier, he's come in, played his part for, you know, filling in for an injured George Kittle. He's not thinking he's going to come out there and catch, you know, 10 passes for 150 yards and five touchdowns. He probably thinks, you know, hey, if I need to go three, four passes, 20, 30 yards, a touchdown here or there, that's that's fine. That's what's asked of me. So we need to see that from Dante. We need to see that he's willing mentally and physically to go out on the field and give it his all and not shy away from contact. Seems to be kind of the biggest thing. Um, staying on the offense, but moving towards, you know, the backfield, does the 49ers running game, or should I say lack thereof, concern you at all moving forward yeah i think so dude you know a lot of college shanahan's offense revolves around the run game and ever since the carolina game when they ran for what 150 plus yards i think they ran for over 200 yards the past three weeks they've ran for 77 yards 77 and i i don't know what what's happening where it's coming from or what and I think a lot of it can be attributed to the offensive line play. I mean, you know, the past three weeks, the offensive line just hasn't been getting any push. And it's extremely concerning moving forward. Now, I understand that they've been dealing with a slew of injuries. I mean, the tackles have been hurt. Kyle Yushik has been hurt. George Kittle has been hurt. But I still wouldn't have expected the run game to drop off as much as it has. And I, I'm going to go out there and say I am slightly concerned about it. You know, again his entire offense is predicated on the run. I mean, it sets up play action. It sets up everything. And the fact that the run game hasn't been able to get going is really concerning. Now, do I think it's going to be a consistent trend for the rest of the season? Nah, man, nah. Once these guys get back healthy, once uh, Kyle Shanahan can really get in the flow of things with the guys he has at his disposal, you know, I think we'll be seeing 100-plus rush yards a game once again. But I think for the time being, you know, for as long as those guys are hurt and unhealthy, and we're talking about George Kittle, you know, Kyle Juszczyk is just now coming back. Mike McGlinchey is still working off his injury. Obviously, Joe Staley is going to be out for a couple of weeks. You know, we may not see the run game fully healthy, or if we do, it might not even be 100%. But, you know, Kyle's going to have to work with, and he's going to have to be able to adapt and be able to adjust his offense accordingly. And I think he's been able to do a really good job of doing that. But again, when you're, you know, when almost your whole offensive career has been involved with getting the run game going and you can't get it going, it's really hard to, you know, dial up and set anything moving forward. But, you know, I digress. I'm not taking anything away from Kyle Shanahan, man. Kyle Shanahan is the best, if not one of the best offensive play callers in the entire game. If anyone can work around any situation in front of him, whether it was like when he was in Atlanta or Cleveland or Washington, and obviously now in San Francisco, it's Kyle Shanahan. Whatever he's given in front of him, you know, it's a game of chess for him, and he beats everyone damn near all the time. So the run game not getting going is really concerning, but I think a lot of it has to do with injuries and the offensive line not getting any push. I don't think it's a knock of the running back talent because Tevin Coleman is a solid running back. Raheem Mostert is a solid running back. Obviously, Jeff Wilson, you know, Matt Breida when he's healthy. So it's not the running backs. It's not Kyle Shanahan. It's just 
it's the personnel out there, man. The personnel not being healthy and the personnel not doing their jobs is, you know, it's ultimately just the kryptonite of the run game right now. And the moment those guys can even, you know, get to half the level they were at when it was successful, you know, Kyle Shanahan's job is going to be a lot easier. Jimmy Garoppolo's going to be job is going to be a lot easier. But again, it all starts with the run, man. And for the time being, I am slightly concerned about it, no doubt. You know, I will say that it's slightly concerning. However, I I don't think it's I don't think it's anything to be worried about. You know, moving forward, it's definitely nothing to lose sleep over. I think, to be honest with you, Kyle, Kyle kind of realized what the Cardinals were doing and loading the box and not letting the 49ers run and forcing them to win through the air. And I honestly think he kind of just scratched the running game early on. And, and, you know, you saw him going through the first and second quarter, staying committed to the run, still trying to, to you know, get the ground game going. And it just wasn't going anywhere. They were going, you know, negative one, negative two yards, back to the line of scrimmage, one yard here, one yard there. And they weren't really able to get anything going at all. So I think he kind of just accepted it, to be honest with you. He wasn't really fighting it. He wasn't really still trying to get the ground game going because there, there wasn't really a need to. They were able to have, find success through the air. And I think that, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't able to and they were still, you know, forced to run the ball and that wasn't working, then I'd be a little more concerned. However, I think the fact that the Cardinals really, really came into this game probably plan their entire game plan around stopping the run I think it's okay because you know will the 49ers need to get their run game going sure however the fact that they were still able to win it makes me feel a little bit better about it so I can understand it also I saw this tweet from um excuse me Jeff Deeney from Pro, Pro Football Focus and he was saying that their data shows that you don't even have to be running the ball effectively to use play action successfully uh the 49ers on sunday the running backs were averaging you know one and a half yards per carry and garoppolo was still 10 4 11 with 151 yards one td and a 149.1 passer rating when using play action so you know there's the myth that you got to run the ball to set up the pass or you got to run the ball to use play action it's 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 a load of baloney because that's that's not the case we've seen it time and time again that's not true so i think that the 49ers will be able to overcome it. And I do think, you know, just like you said, I see them getting the running game going, you know, in the in the near future. I don't think this is going to be how it's going to be for the rest of the year. Um, now, just real quick, we got to get this out of the way. Your dude, Jeff Wilson Jr., man, he caught the game-winning touchdown. I know the 49ers had that kind of fluke late touchdown to, at the end of the game, but this really was where it was all at. This was the meat and potatoes. This is where, you know, he made his money. Let me hear your thoughts on it. How excited were you? How happy were you for him? I love Jeff Wilson, bro. (laughs) We can laugh about it, dude, but I love Jeff Wilson Jr. That guy is my favorite running back. He is my favorite 49er, man, and I wish he would get more playing time. I really wish he got more playing time, but... uh. The guy is the most effective touchdown scorer on the team. He has like five touchdowns, and he's only touched the ball like 27 times, 28 times. And I'm going to credit that to Grant Cohn. But, uh, no, nah, dude, you know, the type of catch Jeff Wilson made where it was like up and behind him at his head where he had to reach back and, 
you know, damn near pluck it out of the air from behind him and, you know, obviously finish the play for a touchdown was huge. Dude, he hadn't gotten a touch previously in like three or four weeks, maybe even five weeks. And the fact that the guy went out there, you know, cold turkey, raw dog, go out there and, you know, just pull out a huge touchdown for a win is amazing. I couldn't believe he went out there. One catch, 25 yards, one touchdown. Out of nowhere, dude. You know, you know what was kind of funny, though, is that I put him in my fantasy lineup, fantasy football, and I was like, you know, he's only projected to get like four points. But I was like, I don't know, man. Jeff Wilson's going to make some noise tonight. I have a feeling, and Lord and behold, he catches a touchdown. So, you know, moving forward, I hope a play like that earns him more playing time. But it's hard when guys like Tevin Coleman and Matt Breda and Raheem Mostert all run the ball just as well. And, you know, it's just the reality of it. But, hey, Jeff Wilson got to live in the moment. He got to, you know, score his biggest career touchdown, and it came at the perfect time, dude. So huge shout-out to Jeff Wilson, man. I'm, I'm the biggest fan by far, and, you know, the guy has the talent, dude. He really has the talent to make some noise and do some damn special things, that's for sure. Yeah, I was actually uh, driving back when I, I was listening to the game on the radio. I had to listen to the last, I'd say, fourth quarter, maybe a little bit into the end of the third quarter. And I immediately just thought of probably how happy you were once they caught, once Jeff Wilson caught that touchdown. Once all the nerves settled and I had was able to collect my thoughts, that was my first thought is, man, I bet you anything, Anthony is ecstatic right now. Um, moving on to another sort of underdog, great story, Demontre Moore. I mean, this guy was just brought back with the injury of Ronald Blair. And he was with the team, you know, in the beginning of the, the preseason, and he was balling out. However, just a numbers game, he wasn't able to make the team to start the season. But, you know, he was able to come back. He was able, the Niners were able to bring him back. Lucky for them, for some reason, teams were being foolish, and they didn't sign him already. But he came in, and he forced that fumble late in the game, and the 49ers were able to recover it. And it was just, you know, a really, really good story. And the guy hopefully has a future here because I think he's a really, really good football player. Um, we just really wanted to give credit where credit is due. Jeff Wilson Jr., DeMontre Moore, two underdogs on this team that really, really are just excelling at being role players and doing what is necessary of them for the team to win. And, you know, I guarantee you that Coach Shanahan just absolutely loves that. So I just wanted to get that out there. Now wrapping it up, who would you say was your MVP of the game? God, MVP. Uh, you know what? I, I don't really care. It's just going to be such a lame duck answer, but I'm going to go with Ross Dwelly, dude. Two red zone touchdowns, you know. I think a lot of what Shanahan did was scheme him the hell open because on both of his touchdowns, there's no way in hell this dude should have dropped him. But, uh, you know, I don't care. The guy was effective in the red zone. He ultimately took Kittle's place as the leading pass catcher for the tight end position. And he caught some touchdowns, man. He scored some points. And, you know, quite frankly, the red zone offense for the Niners has been a lot better in this year than the previous seasons. But guys still have to go out there and make plays. And, I don't care how open he was, dude. Ross Dwelly just he just went out there and he caught some points. He caught some points. He got some touchdowns. So, you know, stupid player of the game, but hey, Ross Dwelly deserves it, dude. I think he's filling in really nicely for George Kittle. And it might not exactly be the most dynamic and best one-two punch, you know, for tight ends in the NFL, but 
at the least, you know, Ross Dwelly the past few weeks while Kittle has been hurt, he's been reliable. You know, he caught the, he caught the icing or the ice. Uh, how do I say it? He caught the final pass in the Arizona game on Thursday night that pretty much uh, sold the game for the Niners. They won. And uh, I don't know. I don't remember how he did against Seattle, but, you know, obviously I'm sure he made some plays. And obviously this past game, he made some plays and he caught some touchdowns, dude. So going out there, filling in nicely for George Kittle while George Kittle is hurt, obviously, you know, that deserves my player of the game because that's, you know, those shoes are huge to fill. And even if he can be a quarter of what George Kittle is for this offense, then that's all you can really ask for, man. So Ross Dwelly, player of the game. Man, I love it. I love it. Sticking with the underdogs, Ross Dwelly, man, he had a hell of a game filling in for George Kittle, like we've been saying. Um, I'm going to go with, and, you know, we're probably going to look dumb for not choosing Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, the guy, you know, he's everybody's MVP. He's the, the, you know, undeniable MVP of this game. But just giving credit, like I said, where credit is due, I got to go with Debo. And, you know, he was just balling out. He was just, you know, there were a few, few receivers that, especially at his stage in his career, that could do what he did. And, um, you know, just speaking to really, really how talented and how good of a game he had. I saw, I believe, um, Jennifer Lee Chan tweeted out that he became the first rookie in franchise history to record eight catches for 100 plus yards in consecutive games. And his 12 missed tackles forced on the season leads all NFL wide receivers. He is averaging 7.2 yards after the catch which is the most of any wide receiver with 25-plus catches, which I think is what you were alluding to earlier. So Debo really, really came through for this team when it was you know needed most, especially with Kittle and Sanders out, like I've been saying. I sound like a broken record, I'm sure. But they, the team really needed an offensive weapon to step up, and he was he was more than happy to. That, that catch that he had when he injured his shoulder, that was just spectacular. I have no idea how he was able to still come down with the ball on top of, you know, being sandwiched between two Cardinal defenders, getting thrown to the ground, having a flag thrown for defensive pass interference, and he caught the ball and got two feet in. I mean, just the self-awareness and body control to be able to do all of that in the midst of like a second when you're being, you know, completely obliterated by the defenders. It's just amazing. And he's super talented. So my MVP's got to go to 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 Debo. I really, really hope he keeps this up. I really hope, um, for the team's sake, that he's able to continue growing and you know putting up a hundred yards each each chance he gets because the guy is a hell of a receiver and he's only gonna get better. You know, just like we were talking about Kyler Murray, he's a rookie. He's only gonna get better, and it's just so exciting to watch. Now moving forward, the 49ers have a huge NFC matchup. This Sunday night, it was flexed out, um, flexed in Sunday night. The Seattle Seahawks got flexed out of it, which is hilarious to me, um, against the Green Bay Packers. Anthony, in a sentence or two, how does this team fare against the Green Bay Packers? It's going to be a battle, dude. It's going to be a freaking battle. And I think a lesson that should be learned, and I don't care if they lost to the Chargers, dude, it's just... Don't overlook Aaron Rodgers, dude. And whenever it's the Packers, people always joke it's the referees and the Packers versus the team they're playing. But, uh, you know, aside from that, man, the Packers are one hell of a team. They have a pretty decent defense. It's been getting toasted recently, but, you know, don't be surprised if they go out there and make plays. They still have really good, 
really good pieces on that defensive line, linebacking core, and secondary. Obviously, Jair Alexander, one of the better defensive backs in the game. Kevin King. Uh, God, Trayman Williams, I think, is at free safety. Or he might be a backup safety. I know Adrian Amos is out there. Darnell Savage is a good safety. You know, Blake Martinez, Oren Burks, two really good linebackers. And then obviously the defensive line, dude. Kenny Clark is a monster at defensive tackle. He is a stud. Then, of course, the defensive ends, Darius Smith and Preston Smith. Dude, both those guys can get at the quarterback fast. And, you know, this is just a defensive side of the ball, dude. And I don't know if it's just bad defensive play calling or what, because their defense should be a lot better than the way it's been performing. But uh, in any event, though, they need to be ready for the Packers, dude. That defense is no joke when those guys are on one. And then as for the offense, man, Aaron freaking Rodgers. You can never count him out, dude. His QBR and you know all of his ratings might be slowly dropping over his years, but that doesn't mean he's still not effective. That doesn't mean he's still not a good quarterback because, quite frankly, Aaron Rodgers is still a top 10 quarterback in the league, and you can never count him out, man. And, I mean, obviously his weapons are like Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, Geronimo Allison. I think they're all still healthy. Then Jimmy Graham, you know, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams. You know, the list goes on and on. So, Overall, the Packers are a really complete team. They really are. You know, they've had their fair share of wins. They've had their fair share of losses. I mean, you know, every good team loses. It happens. Look at us, even though we shouldn't have lost. But in any event, though, you know, the Packers are a team to not overlook. I don't care if their defense hasn't been that good. I don't care if Aaron Rodgers is dropping off. You never count out a team that's, what, 8-2? and two? I think they're 8-2, and two, you know, or 7-2. and two. You never count out a good team. So moving forward, you know, I do find it pretty funny that Seattle got flexed out of Sunday Night Football and the Niners got flexed in. But man, I'm really hoping Sanders and George Kittle are healthy, Zach. I really do, because they're going to be needed for this game. You know, the Niners scraped by against Arizona, although the score won't show it, but they scraped by. So now you're going up against Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback with a lot of experience and a guy who can just, you know, make plays with his feet, make plays with his arm, move around in the pocket and... You know, he's still a very feared and very, uh, I guess, intimidating quarterback, if you will. So the Niners need to be ready, man. The Packers are no damn pushover, no matter if they've been getting lucky on the wind, no matter if they've lost to bad teams, you know, you name it, man. The Packers are a playoff team, and this is probably the biggest test the Niners have faced, even more so than Seattle so far. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, the Packers are 8-2 and two coming off. Um I think they just had a bye week, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they're gonna be, you know, it's gonna be a tough game, like you said. It's only a three point spread, um, and you know, it's pretty much just the fact that the 49ers are at home. That's really you're given three points. Um, so it's it's gonna be a really really tough game, especially with the the 49ers injury report. You know, uh, Joe Staley's out. Debo Samuel's questionable with that shoulder injury. D Ford's probably going to miss some time. Kwan Williams is questionable. George Kittle, who knows if he's if he's going to come back. Um, and and as far as the Green Bay Packers, when I looked up their injury report, it says they have no players on their injury report. So that might be the tail of the tape right there. Just the fact that the, they're fully healthy coming into this game, and I think it's really going to come down to which Aaron Rodgers the 49ers get, because there's the extremely elite you know, always making Hail Mary throws Aaron Rodgers. And then there's kind of the more reserved Aaron Rodgers that it, it, it seems like he's almost not fully tuned in. So I think it's going to come down to that. And also 
if the 49ers dig themselves in another early hole because it, it's going to be really, really tough, like I said earlier, to come out of an early hole against a team like the, the Packers, um, even, even you know, the Saints in, in Baltimore. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough, a tough, tough battle um, right now, according to ESPN's uh, football power index, the 49ers have a 60 percent chance of winning the game. So take that for what it's worth. I think it's going to be a really, really tough one. We'll break it down a little more, guys, before before the game for sure. We'll have another episode. We just wanted to get a quick preview into it. So I think um, the 49ers are really going to need to have all of the cards in their favor in order to win this one. Let's move on. Wrapping it up, uh, we have our RGS mailbag. Our first question is from our dude, Matt. And uh, we kind of talked about this earlier, but he wanted to know, is the 49ers run game struggling from defensive scheming? Or has the offensive line regressed back to uh, the mean? What has been the single biggest reason for the fall off in the run game? I think I think it's a mix of teams stacking the box and the offensive line regressing. But I'm going to stick with one and I'm going to stick with the offensive line regressing. You know, whether they've been healthy or not, man, the run game the past few weeks, the guys just aren't getting pushed and I don't know what it is. Weston Rickberg has been solid at center, and our good friend, our good friend Mike from Nothing But Niners, you know, you know, he, uh, him, and I both kind of weren't really on the Rickberg train. But you look at Rickberg now, and the dude is one of the top centers in the league. The guy opens lanes, and the guy bullies people in front of him. But the guys around him just aren't opening running lanes, and those running lanes are closing really fast, so the running backs can't exactly take advantage of it. And you know, you can't exactly coach up offensive linemen that are regressing you know it's a long season guys need to be ready guys need to be you know just strong and mentally prepared moving forward and you know it's really tasking on an offensive line to really you know try and you know just get pushed and move the run game and you know try to open holes and you know the drop off the past few weeks has been really concerning and you know I brought it up earlier that I do think it's pretty concerning overall that the Niners run game can't get moving but I do think it'll change. I do think it'll get better once the guys get healthy. But I don't know. You know, I want to hear your thoughts on it before you answer it. But a lot of people credit George Kittle to his effectiveness in the run game. But I get that he's a good blocker. But, you know, I'm probably overstating it. But does one tight end make the biggest difference? And I'm not knocking George Kittle. I'm really not. He's the best blocking tight end in the game. But I, I don't know. I just feel like Shanahan and those guys should be able to work around not having your tight end going out there and blocking for you. And you would think that even without him, the run game shouldn't be you know too bad. But it has been pretty bad. And I know Kittle is really effective. So I don't know if I'm overstating his loss. I don't know if his loss is really that important. Or, you know, I want to hear your answer on it. Because, you know, George Kittle goes out and then the run game forgets how to run. You know, and quite frankly, I think it's really concerning. But Overall, man, the offensive line seems like they're regressing and, you know, they got to flip that switch, man. They got to really get it moving forward, especially with the playoffs looming large. You know, in short, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. Um, the, the offensive line, like you said, they really, really haven't been able to get any sort of push, any movement at all. And that is concerning. But at the same time, teams are selling, excuse me, teams are selling out to stop the 49ers run game. They really, really do not believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is able to win it, you know, with his arm. So they're doing everything they can 
to stop the 49ers on the ground. It's no secret that the running game in a Shanahan-led offense is the bread and butter. And teams are going into there scheming entirely around the running game. And they, they're probably thinking, if we stop the running game, we can win this game. So, you know, Stewart, our guy Stewart, he, he, he provided us with his info that, you know, Tevin Coleman, he fa- faced a stack box of eight or more players 67% of the snaps on Sunday, which was the most of any player in the NFL. And he got that per uh, Chris Sims. So I think it's quite obvious what the Cardinals were doing and what their game plan was. They were they were 100% co- committed to stopping the run. And, you know, that's two-thirds of each snap Tevin Coleman was facing eight or more guys in the box. It's hard to get any sort of production when you're facing that. You're, it's just simply a numbers game at that point. So while it is concerning and while you would like to see the running game do more to help this offense... I understand why they haven't. And, um, you know, against the, the Seahawks, we had kind of chalked it up to, to being rusty with Joe, Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey coming back. However, since Joe Staley dislocated his finger and Justin School's back in there, um, I, I say just give it some time. I think they will get back to, you know, what we saw. I don't know if they're going to get back to 200 yards a game, but it should come back to a nice, nice um, kind of compliment to the passing game now that that's taken off. And we have another question here from Jonathan. Um, is Kyle Shanahan the coach of the year? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, short and sweet answer, dude. He's been able to work around the injuries. He's been able to make things happen. And obviously, you have to credit that to Robert Sala and those guys too. But he's the head coach, dude. It's his team. And his ability to, ability to work around those injuries, and go out there and still win games, in my book, is coach of the year. And I respect guys like Matt LaFleur and obviously Sean Payton, you know, who didn't have Drew Brees for an extended amount of time and went out there and won with Teddy Bridgewater. But, dude, you got to give it to the new head coach of the year on the block. And in this case, it's Kyle Shanahan, man. He's a stud. You know, he's a beast as a play caller. And the guy is just, again, he's playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers, man. He's five steps ahead of you every single time. And, you know, for that, he gets my coach of the year nod, man. He deserves it, and he's worked hard for it. And it's what the Niners have been looking for for a long time. I mean, the guy has just swung momentum towards the Niners in every aspect. And, you know, last thing for that, coach of the year, baby. Give it to him right now. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Kyle Shanahan is by far the coach of the year. You can argue, like you said, Sean Payton um, you know, even guys like uh, Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers. However, when you see what Kyle Shanahan has been able to do, just the growth from last year to this year, as soon as he gets his pieces, as soon as he gets his guys, he's able to really, really do what he envisioned for this offense, for this team. So uh, to me, there's no question Kyle Shanahan is by far the coach of the year. Um, I think it really comes down to uh, adjustments and what you're able to do at halftime and you know at the fourth quarter to win the game and we just saw it on Sunday the second half adjustments that the 49ers were able to implement especially on offense it really really you know won them this game and you could thank coach Shanahan for that for being able to put that plan in place scrap whatever plan he had going into the game you know having the the you know, being able to acknowledge the fact that it simply isn't working. It's not a matter of give it time. It simply wasn't working. And the 49ers were able to overcome that and win the game. And we've seen that time and time again. And, 
you know, if I'm not going to go into hypotheticals and ifs and buts, but, you know, we're very, very close to this team still being undefeated. You know, we could very easily be talking about a 10 and 0 49ers team right now. So with that being said, yes, he is the coach of the year and it would be a total robbery if he doesn't get it. And I'm, I'm confident saying that right now. Um, our last question goes to uh, our girl, Natalie Ray. We talked about this a little earlier. Are mobile quarterbacks the kryptonite to the 49ers defense? I think so. I think so. And, you know, you got to hope that Russell Wilson's play drops off of the, over the years because that dude has just been a problem. And it's like you have Kyler Murray here, and this dude is like the next coming of Russell Wilson. Now, you know, I mean that as a joke, but the point being is that Kyler Murray can move and he can scramble, and his ability to cut and just be as shifty as, you know, you know, I was listening on the radio, and a lot of what, uh, what reminds uh, this dude of Kyler Murray is Darren Sproles. And I mean, you look how how short and how quick and how fast Darren Sproles is, and Kyler Murray moves almost exactly the uh, exactly the same in open field. So yeah, I do kind of think mobile quarterbacks are the kryptonite for the Niners, but you know, a lot of it has to do with the personnel being unhealthy. I mean, you have Quan Alexander out there, you have a hundred percent D Ford. You know, I think it's totally different. I don't think those guys are moving as much as we saw them. But I digress. Even with Quan Alexander, I do think that uh mobile quarterbacks will be a decent problem going forward. But I don't necessarily think there'll be a major problem for the Niners to where you look at the mobile quarterback and you think like, ah, oh, man, the Niners can't defend this. We might as well lose. No, nah, man, Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan and these guys, they're able to adjust and they're able to adapt with the guys moving forward and whatever they have in front of them. So they're not a problem, I wouldn't say, but they're sure as hell one big nuisance. And I think all of us can agree on that. Yeah, me included. Um, I wouldn't say white kryptonite however like you said a real real thorn in their side um just especially because i think the 49ers their edge rushers they kind of take pride in the fact that they're able to get home so quickly so it's probably extremely you know difficult when you're rushing getting to the backfield um or excuse me to the you know yeah to under center really quickly and the quarterback's able to escape out of the pocket and roll out within half a second so it, I think it's just a, a little bit of tweaking, and since they have two games against, you know, arguably already one of the best scramblers, one of the best mobile quarterbacks in the game so far uh, this season in Kyler Murray, they already have that under their belt. They should be able to use that as, you know, practice and, and learn from that from their experience when they go up against a guy like a Lamar Jackson in a couple weeks because he's, he's probably the best right now in the league uh, being a mobile quarterback. Um, the guy's Michael Vick 2.0. So they're really going to need to use whatever they learned against Kyler and put that end up into effect for Lamar Jackson because if not, he's going to have a field day. We've seen him do it against great defenses already. So the 49ers are really going to have their hands full. Especially, you know, just the fact that he's simply not a traditional quarterback. He's not somebody that's, you know, going to stand back there and throw it. 40, 50 yards a game and only have a couple rushes for a couple yards. Like, no, he is a true dual threat quarterback. He can beat you multiple ways. So they really, really got to stay home and, um, you know, just stick to their scheme, stick to their game plan. If not, it can get ugly quickly. Um, so moving on, wrapping it up here. 
We have our standard shout-outs, like, like I said a couple episodes ago. It's a new thing we're trying to get going. Just interesting things that we see on Twitter, on social media, uh, things that we, we, we have going on here. And we only have two for you guys today. Our first one, uh, I saw this from David Lombardi on Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, doesn't look like Kyle Shanahan's too confident in Jalen Hurd, the rookie receiver, his ability to come back this year at all. He might just be completely uh, placed on injury reserve for the entire year. That would mean that only Jason Verrett or Contavious Street would be eligible to come off of, of injured reserve. So something to think about moving forward. Would you rather have a Jason Verrett or a Contavious Street? And also, last thing we have for you guys, uh, once this podcast is out, go and check out 49ers Hive Twitter. We will have a giveaway going. You'll just have to simply retweet and like the tweet that I have posted, and you will be entered in. I can't announce exactly yet. Go and find the tweet. Find out what the giveaway is going to be, and you know, you'll know you be entered in to, give it, to win it. Excuse me. Thank you guys very, very much for 5,000 followers. Cannot explain my gratitude enough and you know you guys gave us the platform to launch a podcast like this like the red and gold standard so i really really just want to thank you guys i also want to thank you for tuning in um if you guys like what you're hearing you like what we have going on here please please give us a review on whatever you listen to us on uh itunes google play stitcher uh, whatever it may be we're still getting it all together we should be on everything however i know there's a few uh speed bumps so just Hang in there with us. If you like what you hear, like I said, leave us a review. And if you guys have any questions, comments, whatever whatever it is, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet RGS Pod. You can tweet 49ers Hive. You can tweet me at Zach Hernan. Uh, Anthony, let them know where they can find you as well one last time. All right, guys. As is the case, the formalities, man. Follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49 ERS. Man, Zach, bring on the Packers, dude. I'm ready for this. It's going to be one hell of a game. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It will be. So, like I said, guys, we'll meet with you one more time before the Packers game. We'll kind of preview all of that, get into it, and uh, hopefully if all goes well, we'll have a special guest for you. So, please, like I said, leave us a review if you like what you hear, and thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Have a good one.